Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Thank you, Pastor Andy. Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you all. It feels like forever since I've seen you. At least some of you. Uh, and uh, But man, we, we had a great time earlier this month on Wednesdays going through my book. And I do have a bunch of them with me. I finally got a new order in. And so if you've not availed yourself uh, to grab uh, one of our new books, please back at the table do that. Also, I just want to say, listen, I, I, I love that you guys don't use the wafers at communion. And, and the reason I love it is this, and I'll do a little two-minute pre-teaching before my teaching. Is that all right? Just because uh, there's some just truth here that I, that I love. Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance isn't just thinking about. Uh, that means the members have been dismembered all week long. And when you gather together, you get re See, we've been apart from each other because it's about discerning the Lord's body. It's about us coming together and also being remembered. And I love, see, the problem with the wafers is they're all the same. And none of us here are all the same. All of us are different pieces of bread. I mean, Paul called us all one bread. And, and how many of you know bread is not just yeast? I mean, you know, bread involves also some flour. It's, there's different colors of bread. There's different flavors of bread, but it's all bread, but we all come together and there is a remembrance that begins to take place. And and when you take a piece, everybody takes a unique piece because everyone in here is a unique piece of of the bread, but we're all corporately one bread. I I love that. That's why, that's why Jesus is hanging on the cross and you got malefactors on one side, you got thieves on the other, because you know, those are two different Greek words, right? And actually, it probably wasn't three uh, hanging up there, but five. They actually would crucify people in fives, uh, which I believe is a beautiful picture because five is a number of grace. Hallelujah. How many know Christ is smack dab in the middle of that every single time? Malefactors and thieves. And the one, uh, it only names the three, Jesus, a malefactor, and a, and a thief. And I believe it's a beautiful picture, really, of, of the three main characters all through church history. And, and it, is, it is Adam. Uh, the first Adam, it is Jesus, the last Adam, and it is then the accuser, uh, the devil, the Satan, whatever you want to call him. And the one says, if you are the son of God who you say you are, why don't you come down off that cross? That's the accuser. He's always trying to mess with your identity. And the other one says, you be quiet. I think that's a picture of Adam. Adam's like, listen, you shut up. We deserve to be here, but he doesn't. And he said, sir, when you enter your kingdom, would you re- Member me. In other words, I, Adam, have been dismembered. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Matter of fact, the law and the prophets couldn't do it, but how many know the king showed up? And the king says, I know how to remember you. I know how to put you back together again. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, the word paradise, when you transliterate it from Aramaic all the way back to the the original Hebrew, you know that it's actually translated Eden? I'm going to put you back where we started. Ah, I want to run off and preach right there, but I got a different assignment today. He's going to put you back together. I'm, I'm glad he remembers us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to start in verse number 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this way, that if one died for all, then all died. How many did Jesus die for? I I don't know how anybody could be a Calvinist and read that verse. He didn't die just for a few. He didn't die just for the elect. He died for all. And now if he died for all, those now who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you realize what Paul was saying there? He's like, listen, we're, we're not under law where we judge people by hemlines and hairdos. We don't judge them by how they look. We don't regard anybody. Listen, anytime you're at a church and someone is preaching about the outer man, you know you're sitting and listening to the wrong covenant. 
If someone's talking about tattoos, if they're talking about your hairdo, if they're talking about what you're wearing and what you're not wearing, if it's all about the outer man. Paul said we are to know no man after the flesh. Hallelujah. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. Now, how many know that's not talking to us? Because none of us in here knew Christ according to the flesh. He was speaking to people that literally saw Jesus. Anyway, hallelujah. In the flesh. That's a shocker to some folks that this was actually written to them and not us. It's applicable to us, but that's a shocker sometimes. Yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone in Christ is slanted, it's, it's added. Anyone in Christ, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of... God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say ministry. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or counting their trespasses or sins to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And just so you know, that last passage really is a mistranslation where it says, for he who made him who knew no sin to be sin. Listen, God did not become sin. That's literally ontologically nearly impossible. Actually, the word hamartia can be translated as sin or sin offering. Jesus became a sin offering for us. Well, that's a whole nother ball game. God, God can't sin. He didn't just become sin. He became a sin offering. That, that completely shifts everything. Now watch this. Let me, uh, let me get to this. First of all, I want you to know, man, we love and believe in your pastor's. I want you to know if I lived in this area, this is where I'd be. I'm just telling you right now, I would attend here if I lived in this area. There's no doubt about it. And this last month, I I feel like I have. So anyway, (laughs) my fourth time here this month, I feel feel like I'm a part. I'm just family. It's true. Now, Paul, Paul here speaking to the church at Corinth, and, and he talks about what our ministry is and what our message is. Uh, What I really want to focus on today is really what is our ministry and what is our message. You see, Paul at other times talked about the ministry, but he actually never told us what it was. Ephesians chapter 4, that God has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, but he actually never explained what the ministry is. There's other times where the ministry, and then depending on what background you come from, now, you know, I, I, was, I was raised in more the classical Pentecostal church, and whenever someone said the ministry, immediately your mind would go to preaching, teaching, and singing. I mean, if you were called to ministry. Matter, as a matter of fact, I grew up going to Pentecostal youth camp and children's camp. And it don't matter what you do. I, I, I traveled in a band when I was in, in Bible school. That's where my wife and I met. I was a drummer. She was one of the main singers. And we did like 15 camps one summer in all about 14, 15 different states. And I grew up going to camp three weeks out of every summer because my dad was a camp director. And so, I mean, I was raised in church camp. And it don't matter where you go. It's the same thing every single week, no matter what state you go in, and it's this, Monday and Tuesdays, come back to Jesus night because you've been a little heathen all year and we got to get you saved again. (laughs) Wednesday night is Holy Ghost night because you've been leaking all year and we got to get you full of the Holy Ghost or we got to try to get the Holy Ghost in you, even though he was already there, just needed to get him out, but that's another discussion. Then Thursday night... Thursday night was commissioning night, and somebody would mention Isaiah chapter 6. Who shall go for us and who shall we send? Somebody needs to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. And they'd say, how many of you here feel called to full-time ministry? Well, half the kids would go up, and half of them really didn't feel a call to necessarily being a five-fold gift. They just didn't want to sit there and feel goofy. And so I would always go forward because, I mean, I heard God's voice about five years old call me literally to preach to the nations. But then the only idea of what ministry was was preaching, teaching, and singing. So 
My best friend growing up, and he actually, two weeks ago, uh, he'd been out of church for years, came and heard me at my parents' church on a Sunday that I spoke. Afterwards, stood there and cried with me about really his frustration. He's never been really anti-God all these years. He's just kind of been anti-church. And uh, my friend, he wanted to be he wanted to be in the medical field. He had no desire to preach, teach, or sing. And if you were going to be in ministry, you had to preach, teach, or sing. And if you couldn't preach, teach, or sing, you were pretty well screwed. I mean, the only other thing you could do is you could deke. You could maybe be an usher. <laughs> I mean, what else were you going to do? I mean, it was either fivefold or helps ministry. I mean, what are you going to do? Because we put our whole focus on what the ministry is, is what we did in the four walls of the church. The whole idea of ministry was what you did in the building. And my friend would be sitting there going, man, well, I don't know what God wants to do with me because I want to go in the medical field. I don't have any desire to preach, teach, or sing. That's why it took me years to figure out that every single believer is called to full-time kingdom ministry. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how you make money. You are a full-time minister of the kingdom. If you go to Walmart, if you go to Myers, if you go to the mall, it don't matter. It don't matter what you do and where you go. All of us in here are called to full Full-time kingdom ministry. Woo! Somebody say, I'm called to full-time ministry. It, 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 it takes years sometimes. Years. I know the church that we had started, I would get up and say, how many ministers are in the house? And it took almost two years before everybody started raising their hand. Because everybody's looking around, well, is there any preachers here? Because that's what we think full-time ministry is. And Paul starts telling us, he said, listen, I've got a ministry for the whole body. And this is the heart of God. And he starts off and he says this. He says, the ministry is called the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. Now, 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 let me read this exactly just so you can have it. This word reconciliation is a Greek word that means restored to favor. It also comes from the word atonement and to receive into or the exchange of coins. Like if you have your books reconciled, at the end of the month, you bring coins and you bring everything into reconciliation. There's two main words in the Greek language. The one, reconciled, the other is reconciliation. Reconciliation is apokatalasso, and it involves two parties reconciling or being brought into favor with each other and to be fully then reconciled. But then the word reconciled, katalasso, actually is more better translated conciliation, and it expresses the thought that one party has initiated the reconciliation and brought into favor from therein. Conciliation is a one-sided piece that is done outside the will or knowledge of the other party or person. It is when one party decides to forgive the other and drop the case against them and waive the white truce of peace and then ask for a reconciliation from the other one in return. If they respond, then it is a apokatalasso, a reconciliation. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about us, but to change our mind about him. I want you to notice God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reconciling himself to the world. You see, a lot of times the way the gospel's been presented is that God was really ticked off because his kids disobeyed him. But he was ticked off for like 5,000 years. He's got some serious anger issues. I mean, how many of you have stayed ticked off at your kids forever? I mean, why, why would we think, not only that, but I, I want to just drop this thought out there. We almost have this idea that because Adam sinned, that God in his anger and wrath had been ticked off at humanity for all of those years, but yet if someone deceived my child into believing something about themselves and about me that wasn't true, would I be angry at my child or the one that deceived him? So all of this idea of God's 
just anger at humanity that God couldn't stand humanity is just not true because even in the garden, I mean, I mean, what, one of the myths in my book is that God cannot look on sin and we get this idea that God, you know, in his holiness and righteousness, I mean, once Adam sinned, oh, God couldn't look at him and that God can't get around sin because God hates sin and sin is, is you know, it's, it's kryptonite to God and God in his holiness cannot even be in the presence of sin and he gets weak in the knees and yet it's, Nowhere near true because in the garden, God still came down and walked with Adam and Eve. He still put on new garments. He got close enough to their sin that he put on new clothes. He wrapped them in some animal clothes. Cain kills his brother, commits the first murder. And God, in his amazing mercy and love for humanity, he comes down and he puts his finger on Cain's forehead to protect him from humanity because humanity is the one with the issue. That's why Colossians 1 says that We were enemies of God, alienated from God in our minds. We were not enemies of God when it came to God towards us. It was an issue of us and our idea and mentality towards God. It's just a party in here, that's all. God's just saying, I approve of this message. (laughs) This is some good news up in here. In fact, let me read it to you, Colossians 1, 20 through 22. And through him, he will reconcile all things to himself, having made peace by the blood of his cross through him, and whether the things on earth or things in heaven. For once you were alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and without blemish before him. Romans 5.10 says pretty much the same thing. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Now, it would be like this. I think this is the best example I could give. Let's say, let's say Pastor Andy heard that I had said something about him. And now it doesn't even matter if I did because perception's a reality. So if he believed it, it's a reality to him. And so I should be empathetic towards that rather than try to be right. It doesn't matter if I actually did it or not. It's the perception of the other. And so Andy decides, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger man. I heard, I heard Jamie said some stuff, and it doesn't really sound like him, but hey, you know, I mean, this other person, I mean, he's pretty credible. And so I'm going to declare a cotalasso towards Jamie. I, I made up my mind. I forgive him. I'm good towards him. If someone brings up his name, I'm not going to bash him. I'm going to say nothing but good. I've made up my mind in my heart to forgive him and be good towards him. Now, if he lets me know that, then a apocatalasso is that I then, in return say the same thing back to him, and now there's been reconciliation. But God in Christ reconciled. He declared a conciliation over all of humanity. He forgave all of humanity. According to Colossians chapter 2, when we were dead in our sin, he quickened us and made us alive and completely forgave us. That's what Colossians, when we were dead, not when you prayed a prayer. Not even just when you believe. Now, we're going to get to that. It's going to be important to believe. The truth is he reconciled the world to himself, not Christians. He reconciled the whole. It's all over the New Testament. Everyone has been reconciled, brought into favor. But Just wait, I'm going to get there, but everybody's not saved. You see, this word saved is whole and complete and delivered and healed. I shared that with you when I was here this past year. The idea of salvation, sozo and soteria, that, that, that's so much bigger. The whole world's been reconciled. That's what God did in Christ, but people still need to be saved. That's why Paul said, man, we implore you as ambassadors. We're begging you, be reconciled. In other words, now that you know that God brought you into favor, what you need to do is respond back so there can be a reconciled relationship. So now, not only is he good with you, but you're also good with him. See, the issue is not whether God is good with us because Paul said our ministry is one of bringing people into favor with God. Now listen, I, I got to admit to you, that's, 
That's not what I've mainly heard in the church. Most of the message is turn or burn. Huh? God don't like you until. Matter of fact, until you pray a prayer, you're just snow-covered dung, according to John Calvin. Until you pray a prayer, according to, according to, to his contemporaries that are alive today, man, famous preachers today, they, they love to tell you that until you accept Jesus, what Jesus is, Jesus is your asbestos suit that protects you against the white, hot, fiery wrath of God. In other words, God just wants to fry you and torture you, but you get in Jesus, and now, now, now Jesus is his Prozac. It turns the Father's frown upside down. He's good with you. Even though you're in his image and his likeness and you're his child, he don't really like you until. Am, am I helping anybody today? Matter of fact, when I sit on airplanes and I talk to people about the love of God, they're like, wait a minute. What do you mean? I, I begin to share with them, do you know that God brought you into favor 2,000 years ago? Do you know that in God's mind, he forgave you completely? Quickened you, made you alive? This is a done deal. God towards you is not a problem? They're like, huh? That's not what I heard. I mean, I, I, heard, I heard it's not till I repent. It's not till I turn from my evil ways. It, it's not, it, when I turn to God, then God will turn to me. That's not what Paul taught. Matter of fact, Paul gives us this idea that God brought all of humanity into favor because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, now watch the rest of the message, not counting their sins against them. This word sins, it's also translated trespasses. It's also translated falling away. He's not counting your falling away against you. He's not counting your missteps. Anybody misstep this week at all? He's not counting your lapses. Woo! Man, man, you might have been saved long enough where you're like, I don't sin, I don't trespass, but you probably had a few lapses this past week. See, the, the, the beauty of the gospel is that God was in Christ bringing the whole world into favor. Those that believe are not the only ones that have God's favor. That, that, that's where, where the prosperity message has gone completely awry. I mean, we stood up and taught prosperity for years and said, if you do this and you do this, then God's going to bless you. And the only folks broke were the ones going to church trying to get that. I mean, how come all these multimillionaires are out there and they don't even serve Jesus? Hmm? Well, but they put principles into place that work. Principles will work all the way across the board. That, that, that's why I didn't start to see a shift in our finances until I read Robert Kiyosaki, not the Bible. Hmm? I had to learn some stuff about how money works. Not, not, anyway. Huh? See, we get, we, we get all of these ideas that God, God doesn't even like them. I mean, I heard someone say the other day, well, the Bible says that God doesn't even hear the prayers of the unrighteous. Because there's like a passage in the Old Testament that alludes to that. And I'm like, well, then how do folks get saved? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't hear the prayers of the unrighteous. I mean, how no? I mean, if you're walking along saying, you know, I think I need God, sorry, you're unrighteous. I don't hear you. I mean, see, there's a lot of this stuff we've not even taken the time to thought through for just 30 seconds, guys. You see, the gospel is God was in Christ bringing the whole world into favor, not counting or holding their sin against. I want to ask you a question. If God is not holding men's sins against them, why is that most of the message of the church is about holding their sins against them? I mean, if most of the focus, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. If, if you were to take a video camera and you were to go, or nowadays a phone, actually, it's probably better than a video camera. If you were to take a good phone down to Myers or Walmart or a mall and you were to interview people and say, Tell me, what is your opinion about God, Christians, and the church? You probably hear about the first eight, some of the most self-righteous, judgmental, angry, picketers. Church does real good picketing, folks. 
We do, we do real good. We, we love to say, you know what? I heard that McDonald's supports homosexual agenda, so don't eat at McDonald's anymore. We're good boycotters. It's like, yeah, that, that helps. A secular organization actually wants to make money from people that believe different than Christians. Shocker. L- listen, it, it, if you're only going to support stuff that's Christian, you better go find yourself about 50 acres. You better start growing your own cattle. Start growing your own food. You better, you better grow your own sheep so you can get your own. Grow your own cotton out of the back because you don't have to make all your own clothes. Because someone, a secular company out there that you spend money on, I guarantee you, is supporting an agenda that you don't agree with. Just absolutely silly. People think of Christians and they think more about Westboro Baptist. Because when CNN puts Christians on the TV, it's always the crazy ones. It's always the ones where we look at the TV and says, that's not me. That doesn't represent us. God's not screaming, God hates queers. God's, I mean, and the people that say, God hates queers, says Romans 1. I'd love to quote Romans 1, but Romans 1 also talks about greed and gluttony. And a person holding a sign is 350 pounds. It's kind of like, take the plank out of your eye, chief. But you see, when we put our focus on their sin, I love what Pastor Andy said. You know what the heart of the kingdom is? Is that Jesus came to speak to the son in us and not the sin in us. According to, according to Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. You know what that word glory is translated in, in Greek? Glory is honor, value, worth, and approval. In other words, he came to bring sons to a place of value and worth. Jesus spoke to the value in people, not just to the sin. As a matter of fact, the only time he ever got irritated with people, it was the ones that were the law keepers that were always trying to put people back into sin when he was trying to remove shackles off of them. He was the ones, they were the ones, he said, you fox, you whitewashed tombs. He'd get frustrated at the people that were constantly trying to keep people from the kingdom. God isn't holding men's sins against them. So, so the next time you want to share on Facebook your favorite old covenant prophet living in the new covenant that says the next hurricane is the judgment of God. On sin. Listen, if God's not counting men's sins against them, how in the world is he bringing judgment on sin? If he's not counting men's sins against them. I heard folks say that. Katrina, it was because of all the sin on Bourbon Street. Did you know that it actually didn't even flood Bourbon Street? It actually missed Bourbon Street. And I'm always amazed. I'm like, okay, if, if God is sending all of these calamities, the other, the other thing I always wonder about, how come all of these judgments only seem to hit the Bible Belt? How come they don't happen in California? How come they ain't happening out in Portland where all the tree huggers are? I mean, how come? I mean, how come it's not happening? Why only the Bible Belt? Because if you believe God's sending it, I'd say if you believe that, then he's probably more ticked about all the religion than he is anything else. But, but he's not sending it. Why do we know he's not sending it? Because the cross took care of all that. God says, the world, you have favor with me. My heart towards you is good. I'm declaring peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. My, my heart for you. Is man conciliatory? Even if you're not good with me, I'm good towards you. That's why I love. I think one of the best definitions I ever heard of agape love is it's a one-way love that expects nothing in return. That's the heart of God towards humanity. That's why we love him because he first loved us. His heart towards us is always conciliatory. His heart is I'm good with you, but, but then I, I still need you to be good with me for us to enjoy the reconciliation. See, that's why the whole world has been reconciled, but the whole world is not saved. They're not whole. They're not complete. Folks still need to be delivered. They still need peace and joy manifested in their life. They still need to believe. You see, theology calls it objective and subjective. 
objectively, the work was finished 2,000 years ago. Objectively, it's done. How many know that objectively, God's not healing anyone anymore? He actually healed everybody 2,000 years ago. By his stripes, you were healed. It's, it's past tense. It's, it, why? Because he already did everything for your healing you'd ever need. But so if I was healed, how come, how come my back hurts? Hmm? Because it's activated by grace through faith. If I don't believe it, I don't get to enjoy the benefits of it. That's why believing is still important. That's why Paul said to Timothy, Jesus is the Savior of all men, taken care of 2,000 years ago. But then he goes on to say, but especially those who believe. Isn't that an interesting verse? In other words, the saving has all been done. That's what we pronounce to people. The saving's been done. The healing's been done. The deliverance has been done. It is finished. He already took care of this for you, man. He's good with you. You have favor with him. But the ministry of reconciliation that he gave us, he said, I also called you to the word of reconciliation. The message is that we declare, be now reconciled. You see, the reason we preach the gospel is because we're not trying to just get people out of one place into another. We're not just trying to get people out of hell and into heaven. We're trying to get people to a place where they enjoy a relationship with the Godhead. We've said for years it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. But then a lot of times we don't believe it because we still think it's all about a change of location when actually it's about a change of heart. It's about saying, listen, God already did all this for you, man. It's a done deal. It's a finished work. But if you don't receive it, that's why we're not saved by grace alone. We're not saved by faith alone. We're saved by grace. That's everything God in Christ did through faith, which is a positive response to that grace. It's a, it's a perfect understanding. Grace is conciliation. Faith is reconciliation. Come on, are you with me? See, guys, listen, that's why I, I have friends of mine who are Christian universalists. And there's over 100 verses in the Bible that talk about the reconciliation and ultimate salvation of all of mankind. It's not something small. But they only focus on the objective side. And it's in the Bible. That's why it's never been refuted as heresy. I don't know if you all realize that or not. It's not a heresy. But then I have friends... They focus on the faith side. And then it just leads you into works and trying to get into heaven by pulling yourself through a knot hole backwards. Hmm? Because then I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, he that endures till the end will finally be saved, even though that's talking about something completely different. But, but it's still this whole mentality. It, it's objective and subjective. Both are extremely important. Objective is everything God did in Christ for you and as you. It's done. He died for all so that all died. He also was raised. Matter of fact, I mentioned to you when I was here last year that you don't just go to heaven when you die. You actually went to heaven when he died. When he died, we died with him. When he was raised, we were raised with him. And now we're seated in the heavenly Christ. But if you don't know it, and you don't believe it, you never get to enjoy the benefits of it. That's why salvation is about what's going on right here and right now. I don't need to be delivered in heaven. I need to be delivered here. I don't need healing in heaven. I need healing now. I don't need prosperity in heaven. I need some prosperity right now. I'm not waiting to get over yonder and over there and somewhere in some glad morning when this life is over. I'm not waiting for that. Why? Because there's this life. We've taught people for so long about the sweet by and by and nobody knows how to live in the nasty now and now. God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world. See, Paul, Paul got this. That's why Paul is standing on Mars Hill, speaking to pagans, no Christians. And he says, in him we live, in him we move. In him we all have our very being. These are not anyone who believed. Y'all understand the context there, it's... it's 
For we are all God's offspring, genos, children, kind, and family. He says, from God towards us, all family. God's good towards all of you. Because we all come from one blood. We all bleed the same color. On the inside, we're all the same. On the outside, different shades. Different flavors, different cultures. Different, different tribes, different, different ways of doing things and thinking. But we're all the same. The imagio deo, the image of God, is in every single human. And the heart of God is, this is all my family and my offspring. Because I, as a good, good father, am good towards all of you. I want you to think of this. What if the body of Christ around the world would actually preach that? What if rather than screaming at homosexuals, we actually said God's actually good towards you? It doesn't mean he likes everything we do. But the same person screaming at a homosexual, God sees you as an abomination. You know what else is an abomination? A froward look. So you looking at them that way actually is an abomination. (laughs) Shrimp is an abomination. Lobster is an abomination. I mean, if you're going to pull one out, you got to pull them all out, chief. The law is all or nothing. There's no bits and pieces and parts of it. We wonder why we're not able to actually reach people because we tend to focus on their sin rather than actually declare what the son has done. Rather than actually tell him, God's not holding your sin against you, which is, by the way, really, really good news. Like ridiculously good news. What do you mean he's not holding? You mean God's good with me? How could that be? You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did last week. You don't know what I did 10 years ago. It's like, yeah, but he completely forgave you when you were still dead in your trespasses. Forgiveness is done. Healing is done. Redemption is done. But until you believe it, you don't appropriate it, and you don't enjoy the benefits of it. Come on, is this helping anybody? You see, believing is still very important. Faith is not something we just set to the side, not because we've embraced grace, because it's grace and faith working in tandem, because one is what God did, and the good news is this, God even gives you the faith to believe it. That's the amazing part about it. You don't even have to try. You just simply awaken. I believe. I was just in Texas, and uh, whenever I... I'm down there, and I have days off in between. I stay with a friend of mine. He's a, he's a cowboy. And, uh, I mean, real cowboy. Uh, doesn't have a religious bone in his body. F-bombs are conjunctions. <laughs> it's just how he strings sentences together. <laughs> uh, but I, I love being around him because he just, he just, there's just no religion. And, and, uh, and there's no beef or chicken in his in his house. It's like you know, gazelle and red stag deer, and he cooked me a oryx. Have you ever heard of an oryx? Listen, that's one of the best pizza pieces of meat I ever put in my mouth. It, it's it's an actual like a form of antelope from South Africa. Actually, the largest largest uh, uh, of them now are in Texas because they were being killed so much uh, out there. But it's like. 5,000 a deer if you want to go on a hunt. Uh, some expensive stuff. He saved me about a 14-ounce filet. Lord Jesus. He was a little, for this carnivore, is a little bit of heaven on earth right there. But, but he was sharing when we were sitting talking, and he never shared the story with me before. Let's talk about how he was one of the largest meth dealers in Denton County. Had his own ranch, and the cops kept trying to bust him, and, and they just couldn't. And so... He, uh, he got his girlfriend pregnant. She became a believer. And now, now it's his wife. And uh, she started praying for him. And so he, he started having these like conversations. He would actually feel Jesus put his hand on his shoulder. 
And he'd be like, like freaked out because he didn't know what it was. And so he decided to show up to this cowboy church. Because down there they got all these cowboy churches. You know, folks, you know, you're preaching, folks got to dip in. Amen. You know, it's just. It's pretty funny to say the least. I was like, man, my grandma would have a heart attack. She said, these folks ain't even saved around here. Just <laughs> They need to get the Holy Ghost or something. <laughs> but uh, he went to church the one Sunday, and he walked up, and everybody was half afraid because he like, he'd beat up half that church at one time or another. He's a pretty, he's a pretty bad dude. <laughs> and, and he's sitting there, and he's like, man, I don't know about all this. And so the pastor happened to say something about, if you don't believe in God, why don't you just do one thing? So we just ask God something that just seems crazy. And so he picked up a Bible that week that his girlfriend had given him, and he opened it up, and he read something in Matthew. And he's like, I don't know what that means. I don't even get it. Uh, and, and so she said, well, go over to the church. There's always someone there. He went over to the church. There was no one there to explain it to him. And he's like, well, you know, God, you know, if, if you're real, you know, you know, I don't know, explain that to me or whatever. And so he shows up to church the second Sunday. He's sitting in the back row. All of a sudden, the pastor comes out, and he says, you know, I had a message ready. He said, but God changed it all. And he said, turn with me to Matthew, that exact passage. And he said he sat there. Now watch this. He got up because tears started rolling down his eyes. He went out in the parking lot to smoke a cigarette. And he's walking back and forth crying. And the pastor's wife comes out and she's like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I don't know why. I just can't stop smiling. It was the moment he believed. He, he didn't come down to an altar. He didn't, he didn't pray a prayer. He just simply believed because Christ was revealed to him. Did, did you know, do you know that... Altar calls, altar calls are not necessarily a bad thing, but they're like less than 150 years old. I mean, do you know that everybody didn't get altar calls to get saved all through church history? Actually started, started little bits beginning of it was with, was with Charles Finney and then really took off with Billy Sunday and then Billy Graham took it to a whole other level, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But John Wesley would preach to 10,000 people out in a field and he'd close the sermon with believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he'd get up on his horse and he'd leave. And people would say, well, how do you know if anybody got saved? He said, well, when I come back in nine months, if they're in a church and they're bearing fruit, I'll tell them they're saved. But of course, that doesn't get any money in a newsletter. Because you got to be able to say, we had 40 souls saved last week. Because then people will send you some money because, man, they're really doing something for God. And the truth is, you didn't have 40 souls saved anyway. You had 40 spirits that got saved because to save a soul is a mind, will, and emotion. I always tell people when they say, man, we had a move of God. We had 50 souls saved last week. I'm like, praise God. So you've had 50 people in your church, 5, 10, 15 years, have been growing and maturing. Their mind is no longer carnal. Their will is no longer rebellious, and their emotions are no longer warped. That that was last year when I did this. Uh, That's what it means to get a soul saved. He that wins... Souls, what? Jesus never told us to go into all the world and get spirits born again. So go into all the world and make disciples. You see, sometimes we get this idea about, about God. I have a young man who's a spiritual son to me, and everything about him and his relationship with God is like nothing I've ever heard. Like, it's almost backwards compared to how I was raised. He has this radical experience and believes in Christ. He ends up at a Bible school out in Colorado, a Grace Bible school, and all he knew is that was the only Bible school on the planet. I mean, he didn't know nothing. He didn't know the Bible. He didn't know nothing about God. He's just thinking, "Woo, this is awesome. He gets in his class, and the teacher gets up and starts teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the teacher says, now this is what happens. You receive Jesus, you get born again, and you get saved. And then after you get saved, then you have this experience where you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you speak with other tongues. And he lifted his hand and he said, I spoke in tongues at 16 before I knew Jesus or anything about Jesus. Professor said, absolutely impossible. He's like, all right. (laughs) He's like, I'm I'm just telling you (laughs) that I did that. (laughs) And they were like, it can't be because the Spirit of God is not in you until you pray a prayer. Really? He's above all, through all, and so he only shows up there when you pray, pray. Isn't it interesting that Paul, speaking about his conversion on the Damascus Road, he said, on that road, Christ was revealed in me, not to me. 
No wonder Paul, no wonder Paul would get up and preach in Colossians and he'd say the mystery of the gospel is the mystery to the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's like, the mystery of the gospel is he's already there. You just don't know it. You see, reconciliation is he's already there. Faith is I awaken to the reality. No wonder he said awake to righteousness and sin not. Because once you have an awakening that he's there, it's going to cause you to not want to do some stuff no more. It's not, it's not inviting him into your heart. That's not in the Bible. Come on, do you realize that? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, invite Jesus into your heart. It says, believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved, but you were reconciled before you were ever saved. Are y'all doing all right? Some of y'all looking at me a little funny. I don't know, you just... You see, our message to the world really is good news. God's all right with you. You're just not all right with you. God doesn't hold sin against you, but people do. And church folk, church folk hold sin against folks. Maybe that's why James said something very interesting. He said, confess your faults one to another so that you might be healed. I mean, you can confess your faults to God if you want, but he don't remember any of them. It's kind of like you telling God about your sin. He's like, huh? You know, I'm like, he's got amnesia when it comes to your sin. Now, now listen, if you want to confess your sin to him, knock yourself out. It might make you feel better about you, but it doesn't change God's mind because he's not even counting your sin against you in the first place. But guess what? Mainly who you sin against is other people. Maybe that's why the Catholic confessional wasn't completely wrong. Don't freak out at me. I'm not saying go back to the Catholic church. Go to the... But do you think that they just by accident said, come and confess your faults to the priest? Hmm? Confess those things one to another. Why? Because if God's not counting your sin against you, you mentioning your sin to God is just a moog idea when it comes to God. See, that that's one of the things that set me free when I realized because I couldn't go to bed at night. All the way up until I was about 36. I couldn't go to bed at night without saying, God, forgive me for all my sin. Forgive me for my sins of omission, my sins of commission. Things I did or didn't do, things I didn't even realize that I did. Because before I lay my head down to sleep, Lord, if my soul to take, Lord, please, I want to make sure that I wake in the morning and you and I are good. But I want you to think about this. It would actually be better and easier if you stayed under law then. Because under the law, all you had to do once a year was bring a turtle dove. Once a year, your sins are covered for the whole year. That's all you got to do. One lamb, one turtle dove, one goat. Ain't even going to cost you a whole lot. That's all you got to bring is one thing and you're covered. Knock yourself up. Man, they'd sin all year long and their sins were covered. But now we get in a new and a better covenant. And if I don't mention every single one, all of a sudden I'm, I'm not forgiven. I mean, aren't you going to forget one? I mean, what if all of a sudden, three days later, you go, oh, man. I forgot that lapse of judgment that I had. I forgot that I misstepped over there. No, see, we've almost put people in more bondage in a new and a better covenant, thinking they got to do more than they did in the old covenant. The amazing good news is God's given us a ministry, and our ministry is to let people know you have favor with God whether you feel like it or not. God's heart is passionately for you, not against you. 
And now God's given us the message of reconciliation. So what we're to be declaring to the world. Now listen, that doesn't mean we never talk about sin. Paul said that our message to the world is reconciliation. But Paul, when it came to the church, once you understood who Christ was, he would then deal with your stuff and your issues because sin still makes you stupid. Sin still leads to death and opens the door to the enemy to reap destruction in your life. But even when dealing with sin, Paul would start. Corinthians, he was about ready to rebuke them for all this sin and immorality and all kinds of lust and all kinds of mess. And he started off the letter saying, to the saints, to the beloved. I mean, he's reminding them all about their sonship and how God feels towards them. And then he'd say, now, listen, man, what y'all are doing, stop it. Why? Because it's going to affect not your relationship, him towards you, but it can affect your relationship towards him and your relationship with each other. See, that's why the new covenant never tells us. The first time I preached here, I shared this. You know that the new covenant never tells us one time how to love God outside of the context of loving humans? Do you know nowhere post-cross are we told to love God? First John says, if you say you love God, who you cannot see, and you hate your brother, who you can see, then you're a liar. All of the context in the new covenant is how you show your love for him is how you love humans. Not how you love him, because actually how you love him is how you love humans. That's, that's why Saul on the Damascus Road, Jesus reveals himself to him and Jesus says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting people. But how you treat them is how you treat him. That's why he said, I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was a stranger, you didn't bring me in. And the disciples are, when did this happen, Master? And he says, if you've done it to the least of these and you've done it to me. In other words, how you treat them is how you treat. See, where the rubber meets the road in Christianity is not how deep you are with Jesus. Real maturity is how you can walk in love with humans. How you can love your enemy, how, can you, how you can forgive that person that wronged you and lied about you. And what they did was genuinely wrong, but you choose to declare a cataloso to them. You choose to declare, I'm going to be good towards you. I choose, why? Because I forgive because I've already been forgiven. I don't forgive to get forgiven. Jesus said that to Jews under the law. Because under the law, you had to forgive before you could be forgiven. But now you get on this side of the cross, and Paul says, forgive because you've already been forgiven. In other words, I can't help but forgive because I've already been completely forgiven. God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world to himself, not holding men's sins against him. Listen, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what you've been through this week, this month, this year, this decade. I just want you to know that God is better with you than you ever thought he was. He's not counting your issues against you. He's not holding out his love towards you. He's not the one, he's not ticked off at you. He's good. Why? Simply because of what Christ completed. The Father declared at the cross a massive cataloso to all of humanity. And he said, I've made up my mind peace, goodwill towards all men. Me towards you is good, but now Paul said, I beg you, I implore you, be reconciled, respond back. I mean, I'm convinced that people really knew that God was not counting their issues against them and he wasn't again, that he was actually giving them favor. I think it'd be easier for them to say, well, man, well, wow. Why wouldn't I respond to that? No, nobody responds to someone rejecting them. Think about how we've declared the gospel. I've mentioned it here before, but I see it all the time on Facebook. And 
It's Jesus standing and he's knocking at a door and he says, let me in. And the person on the other side says, why? So I can save you. And the guy on the other side says, save me from what? From what I'm gonna do to you if you don't let me in. Kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Kind of makes us think that God is a little bit Janus-faced. You know, the Greek god Janus, he's smiling on one side, then his head spins around and it's black and angry on the other. That's kind of what we think God is. He's Harvey Two-Face from the Batman movie. He's got a grin on one side of his face and he's just on the other. And then we wonder why people aren't responding to the gospel because it's not a lot of good news that gets declared out there. The good news is God's not holding your issues against you. He's completely forgiven you but you still need to believe it. If you don't believe it, you never enjoy the relationship, man. That's why we preach to people. I preach to people because I want them to have a relationship with God that God in Christ already took care of. So I want to encourage you today. I I don't know what you've been through, what kind of shame or blame has been beating your brains in. I'm just telling you, God's not counting it against you, even if it's something you legitimately did wrong. The truth is, normally we're holding it against us. Our biggest problem isn't receiving forgiveness from God, it's forgiving ourselves. Receiving forgiveness from Him is a simple thing. You just believe it. But man, being able to forgive ourselves for stuff that that we did, that we have a hard time, that's why Jesus came to remove all that shame and all of that blame. And he said, now we're ambassadors. Everywhere we go, let people know. Be reconciled, man. How could you not knowing what he did? That's the beauty of the gospel. Bow your heads, would you? Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your absolute amazing love for us. I thank you that you reconciled us before we ever knew anything even about it that you weren't just waiting for us, you came to us. Thank you that what your finished work truly did and completed wasn't just for a few, but it was for all of humanity. Thank you that you brought all of humanity into favor, but now Lord, help us to also realize that we need to also come into a place where we view you as favorable so that we can enjoy this reconciliation, so that we can enjoy this amazing relationship that you provided for us 2,000 years ago. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I want you to do one thing with me. Would you put your hand on your heart? You know, Scripture says, I believe, therefore I speak. Kingdom of God is voice activated. Confession is still made unto sozo, unto wholeness and completeness and salvation. Things get activated when we open our mouths by faith and we make a declaration. It's more than just a sinner's prayer. It's a faith declaration that says, I believe. And if I believe, then I thank you. I I receive also by faith. And so pray this with me out loud, would you? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for reconciling me, bringing me into favor, Your heart is favorable towards me. You're good with me. With all of my issues, with all of my stuff, I receive that today by faith. I'm saved by believing in your life. I confess that reconciliation. And I be reconciled back towards you. Thank you for saving me, transforming me. I receive it today by faith in Jesus' name. Now, Holy Spirit, I also ask that you begin to manifest reconciliation in relationships, in families. Lord, there's many of us here that that we need some reconciliation manifested in our own homes in our families, with our children, with our loved ones. 
with work relationships. Lord, we're, the sons of God are the peacemakers. We're to be the ones that are releasing the word of reconciliation to bring calm and peace in the midst of storms. We're not the ones that are supposed to stir the pot and try to make things worse. So I ask that you release that heart of reconciliation in every one of us, that we be the ones that bring people together and not try to tear them apart. Use us as healers of reconciliation. Everywhere we go and everything we do, we'll thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Man, thank you guys for your kindness. I, I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm excited for where, where God's taking this house in this coming year. And I, I want to encourage you all. Listen, if you're a part of this house, I learned a long time ago that what you don't support goes away. I mean, you know, nothing more irritating than you're salivating for your favorite meal and you pull up to the restaurant and the door's shut. It happened to me naturally. I, I, I was down in Texas. I pulled up to a restaurant. I couldn't wait. I was thinking about it the whole flight. Whole flight. Pulled up and the doors were closed. I was like, no. But what you don't support goes away. And, and I want to encourage you to continue. Just be faithful in this house. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.